Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another <laughs> VP Movie Journal. <laughs> the show we do, we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm sorry, I don't know if the listeners heard that or not, but... If we did, like, I assume they did. Okay, so... <laughs> we, were ta- we were like, finally, we were, we were talking before the episode, and finally we were like, all right, we're ready to record. Ready when you are, there's a pause, and then... Uh, like you couldn't t- the, the, like I, there was a pause while I, while I calmed everything and then as soon as i went into the intro bong, bong, outside yeah. Tyler's window <laughs> there's un- I, this is different than the than the sunday truck that goes by which just has that uh interminable uh, bell ringing this is somebody who goes around the neighborhood like in the afternoons with a cart and sharpening knives people- right Obviously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or you can bring out your dead, whatever you got to do. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, the way they get the attention is they like, they, uh, honk this bike, like this clown horn, essentially. Like it's, it's like when a clown like honks their nose, it makes this, the noise it makes. Yeah. And so, yeah, the timing of that worked out extremely well Yeah. because in that moment, it's just like, yeah, we're just a couple of clowns. Yep. So, um, Okay, but uh, so because of uh, some things going on on your end, I'm the only one who has movies to talk about today, so we are going to power through. By the way, I'm David. I'm Tyler, and uh, you know, obviously in this situation, it's hard not to feel like just a complete fraud. Uh, What right do I have having a movie podcast or co-hosting a movie podcast when I've seen no movies in a week. What is wrong with me? I feel mm-hmm. like I should apologize. And I hope you, the viewers and sorry, listeners uh, can, uh, can forgive me someday. I forgive uh, because, because I'm uh, not able to forgive myself. Well, but I what, forgive David. You. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, by the way, I, I always make sure to say our names because there's a podcast that I listen to. It's like a St. Louis blues podcast in which I've been listening for years hmm. and I, I always forget like the host because they never said they just like start talking and at the end they give their Twitter handles. They very rarely actually in an official capacity ever say their names. Like I picked up on their names. Obviously I've been listening for years and they sometimes just say their names to each other or whatever in the conversation, but I will sometimes forget which one is which. And, And they never like years of listening to this podcast and I'm still not clear on who's who because they, don't actually come out and introduce themselves on the podcast. So I'm always sure to do it. And I think, I definitely think that it is incorrect for somebody to assume that people can identify you by your voice, because I feel like you and I do not have particularly similar voices, nor do we have similar sensibilities. Like that's one of the, it's to the degree that battleship retention has any hooks at all. One of them is that like different politically, different spiritually, the whole deal, uh, And yet I have run across the occasional review of battleship pretension in which somebody says, David's the conservative Tyler's the liberal. Uh, (laughs) And, and it's one of those things like, I, it's like, what's more is we do also identify ourselves. And I wonder if it's like, it's like, well, clearly the name Tyler goes with this voice. The name David goes with your voice. And I guess, over time, someone just gets, gets them mixed up, yeah. which just astonishes me. You know, it's funny for the, the, the things you called out as our differences, uh, politically and spiritually are big ticket 
like (laughs) things and yet your picky eating is the thing that's most likely to get under my skin (laughs) of all the things we don't see eye to eye on when i suggested you spruce up muesli by adding some blueberries or raspberries and you said well i don't like blueberries or raspberries that's i that's that got me redder in the face than like who you vote for well what do you what I don't, I'm not choosing this. I'm not choosing to absolutely hate the mushy, disgusting mess that those things turn into and not in a fun way, the way say steak does. Uh, There's just something about the texture of those. I don't, I, uh, you know, admittedly the, I also find the taste of, of raspberries a little bit too, uh, to uh, I don't know how you describe it tart, tart a little tart yeah they're very, it's a they're little very bit, tart I, I a go, little bit overwhelming for me blues, uh, blues I am definitely a less is more when it comes to raspberries although what I like with the raspberry because it's so tart and I'm sure you don't like plain Greek yogurt uh, not um, I have, I mean I don't really like yogurt in general yeah. because it's just, so yeah just plain Greek yogurt like raspberries are too tart and plain Greek yogurt on its own on its own with no like other flavoring or whatever is too bitter. But for some reason, when you mix them together, it can't each other out. And it's actually one of my favorite afternoon, afternoon snacks is raspberries and Greek yogurt. Yeah. It's, I, I am not, I'm certainly not doing this just to get under your skin. Although maybe now I will, um, you know, I the, next, the next time you say something like political that I'm, that I don't agree with, even if it doesn't bother me, uh, I'll just be like, you know what? I don't like, I don't like, uh, I'm trying you, to think of something you really having, all Mexican know, food. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was going to say, are you having a hard time thinking of food you don't like? Well, I, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think uh, of food you specifically yeah, do yeah. like. Um, but I guess it's, it has to do with, I think it's when it comes to a difference in belief, I, even if I don't like fully understand, I, I understand that people have different beliefs and yeah. what's more, I believe you. I believe that you believe these things when it comes to, to food. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea sure. that people don't, that you wouldn't like something so delicious. And so I do feel like no, it, I it get is, it. it's almost like it, it's, I mean, it's, uh, this might be, um, callous to make this comparison, but you know, when people struggle with depression and people say like, well, haven't you tried just being happier or sure, whatever? Yeah. Oh boy. But yeah. I, uh, and I, I'm opposed to that. But when, well, I think subconsciously my thing with the food is like, have you, are you sure you haven't just given it a shot? Like, like <laughs> I feel like I don't believe that you don't like yeah. these foods. It's like, I know that you say you tried blueberries. Is it possible you just ate a handful of rocks? <laughs> Maybe it's that. Maybe some uh, some disgusting rabbit pellets. And you thought right. you thought that it was the no. It's I. You know what? Uh, I definitely, I understand that people can intellectualize food. Like they can talk about objectively or at least somewhat objectively why a food works and why flavors work Mm -hmm. together, whatever. I get that in the same way that people can intellectualize music. But to me, like I have no idea why I like the stuff that I like as far as music, it hits my ear a certain way, right? Just as, as uh, food hits my tongue a certain way. And and I, and there, there are bands that I was like, I wish I liked them. Everybody else seems to. And similarly, I wish there was food that I liked. And I'm I, certainly, as I've gotten older, I'm not opposed to trying something, uh, especially if it's something that is aesthetically pleasing and that I feel like that looks good. 
and it smells good. And then I eat it. I'm like, nope, this did not translate to taste, huh. uh, either as far as taste or texture. And uh, what's, so a, what's a okay. food that we'd be surprised that you actually like? You know what? Someone asked me this just the other day, and I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I forget what I answered them. Uh, I know that this is going to be, you're going to laugh at just how basic this is. Uh-huh. Um, I enjoy uh, butternut squash soup. Oh, yeah, that is good. That is good stuff. Man, it's delicious. Uh, and, and you know what? It was, I think I first tried it a few years ago. My friend uh, Scott Cupper, he, at his wedding, they served uh, uh, butternut squash soup. And I thought, and it smelled good. And I thought I'd give it a try. Give it a try. And I was like, well, it's soup, uh, albeit, you know, it's butternut squash. So it's a little bit thicker. Thick. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, so texture wise, this is not going to get me. Um, so I tried it and it was like, oh, this is, uh, this is working for me. Um, and, uh, and since then, yeah, it's something that I, if a place has it, I will usually order it because I do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, and then a couple other answers. One is I, there was a restaurant that, that I believe we have, we have been to, it's not there anymore. It's called the eclectic cafe on Lancashire. Yeah, it's not there anymore. Not That's, there anymore. Well, we, we give uh, hints sometimes as to your neighborhood by naming certain businesses. Right. The eclectic cafe was very, very close to where I'm sitting uh, right now. Like a yeah. six, seven minute, well, maybe a 10 minute walk. Yeah. And I used to love it. And they would, they would serve focaccia bread with uh, olive oil and, um, oh my gosh, what is, what's the other thing? Um, I, it escapes me now, but like it's vinegar? Uh, balsamic vinaigrette. Balsamic vinaigrette. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so like mixing those with the Vikasha bread is the kind of thing that I would not have. The, the balsamic is the kind of thing that normally I feel like would overwhelm me, but mixing yeah. it with those other things made it a little bit, uh, a mm-hmm. little bit better. And then s- relatively recently I tried, uh, as far as dessert goes, I tried, um, uh, bread pudding, which, Oh, see, now you get into stuff I don't like. Yeah. And, and I liked it quite a bit, but I will say I don't like it universally. Uh, when we were traveling in Scotland, I had, the like i had some of the best bread pudding i'd ever had and then a few days later at a different place some of the worst yeah. i'd ever had and so um, yeah I'm, that's one where it's it's all about the texture with that one it occurs to me that i think part another part of the reason maybe i have trouble believing you is, or, or thinking that you could break through this is because i was such a picky eater as a kid sure and um as a result, there are weird things that I refused to eat as a kid. And then like, like weirdly common things that I did then just never got around to eating until much later in life. I was like in my mid twenties before I ever had cream cheese. Um, and now I really like cream cheese, but I just like, I didn't like it as a kid. I've made my decision that if I'm going to have a bagel, I'm going to butter it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's just what I then did for 20 years and then tried cream cheese. And I was like, Oh, this is great. I've, yeah, uh, I actually also tried cream cheese a, a little bit later in life. I did, it did not sound good to me. Uh, even the, I just, I, part of me when I was a kid, I was like, I wish they would call it something different. That does not sound appealing. Um, and then I tried it on a bagel and, and I was just like, this is just like, I, I, it was weird. It's like, I see the appeal, but this is not a thing I want to continue experiencing. Um, I don't remember why. Maybe I'll try it again. But you know what I, to this day, have never tried, and I just think at this point never will, cottage cheese. 
Well, that I'm on board with you. Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying to look at, to yeah. think about. Uh, it looks uh, like uh, something went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And they made, and they made a go of it. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm good on cottage. That's one thing you and I, uh, see eye to eye on, Boy. but okay. We've wasted way too much time not talking about movies. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to jump in with a movie that, uh, recently restored by indie collect and available now, uh, in virtual cinemas via Kino marquee. Um, Burt Stern's 1959 concert documentary jazz on a summer's day. Hmm. Um, Tyler, you would love this. I think this music will be very, the music will be up your alley. I read, uh, I read your review and it sounded okay. very, very good. Yeah. So you heard the list of just on the, yeah. uh, the artists, uh, uh, alone who, who play it, it, it was shot at the 1958 Newport jazz festival. Um, uh, which Newport has a jazz festival and a folk festival. It seems like a real, uh, place to be uh place um the newport jazz festival so you had uh Thelonious monk anita o'day um louis armstrong mahalia jackson chuck berry uh i feel like i'm missing out on a, a big one um uh they're in there somewhere but um it's it, i i guess in reading about the history like i guess the it was one of the movies that kind of helped define the concert movie as we know it. This wasn't like as, as common a thing. Um, and uh, it takes place all over the course of, of, of one day. And the, the most interesting choice that Bert Stern as director made in putting this together. And I don't know if, and you read my review. So I mentioned this, I don't know if this could have been a decision made in production. It feels like he shot everything uh, without sound MOS, uh, uh, in industry. That's one of those industry terms that I think most like movie fans just know now. Right. Yeah. Um, I, th so it seems like he shot everything MOS and then just used the recording from the soundboard. Cause the, uh, for, for most of the movie, if not all of the movie, the only sound you ever hear is the, the musicians singing and playing and, and talking and whatever crowd, noise you can get, pick up from that so there are um there are shots like during um during the daytime performance which are which performances which are more sparsely attended than the like nighttime party performances where he goes into the town or down to the beach with the camera and you're seeing the 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 party that sort of goes on around this and also um this uh this particular year, the Newport Jazz Festival happened to coincide with the America's Cup yacht race. Um, uh, and so you get all these shots of uh, yachts and fancy rich people on their yachts. And you've got people drinking at the bar and uh, having little pregame house parties before the, the big event that night. But still, no matter how far away you go, the only thing you're hearing is the music being played on, on the stage. Um, and so the effect is... Uh, it, I mean, concert film is clearly an apt description, but uh, I have a hard time even thinking of this movie as a documentary. It feels more like a feature length montage set to music. Mm. Um, uh, and often there's a lot of very funny images. I mentioned the daytime stuff being sparsely attended. There's literally people like just sitting on chairs and reading while Floney Smuck yeah. is playing. Um, it's very, it's very funny. Um, uh, but the, the music is absolutely terrific. Uh, the execution of the film itself is very artful and I uh, would give my highest recommendation to jazz on a summer's day. 
check it out support virtual cinemas um all right sorry tyler can see that i'm distracted by something but the listeners what's up is everything okay um do you need me to come over no uh, no i'm good uh don't come over stay far away or at least at least six feet away um all right next up once again, being uh, as this, you've listeners who listen regularly know that this is an ongoing project of my wife's during uh, during quarantine is to expose me to movies that she loved as a kid, uh, and she had faulted for a bit there. She did introduce me some some stuff I loved: Mermaids and The Money Pit and and uh, Death Becomes Her, like movies. That are, yeah. And she faulted a little bit. You know, she showed me uh, Jawbreaker and. Uh, uh, was it 16 candles or uh no the, the, the other, other one, one. uh yeah. pretty in pink i didn't like yeah, yeah. uh but she's back on top with okay. uh 1987's la bamba directed by louise valdez oh, yeah. the richie valens story have you seen this movie not in many years but i i actually have seen it a few times before age like 20 okay so i would say this movie is a testament to the idea that um a movie is not entirely made or broken by its screenplay because I think you could read the, you know, a quick article on Richie Valen's very short career and you could kind of, you could kind of write this movie in your sleep. It it doesn't really surprise you in terms of what happens plot point to plot point, but the movie is filled with so much, energy so much life so much specificity in terms of this is a a conversation we have a lot now is in terms of who gets to tell these kind of stories and having a latino director um uh allows you to uh, allows the film to explore um richie valen's very specific latino identity which is that he was absolutely of uh, mexican uh descent but at the time the movie start starts has never been to Mexico and does not speak Spanish. And he has to walk this line of being, he's often by white Americans. He is, um, uh, either he is patronized, you know, um, uh, and and condescended to about, uh, and, and put into the box of being a Latino or he is whitewashed you know yeah. his name being changed to Reggie Allen's uh, uh for example and so you've got him narrating this this thing of being like on the one hand don't discount that my latin background is a part of who i am on the other hand don't forget that i'm just as american as you are yeah and that it's a really fascinating uh place to to locate this movie but on top of that Lou Diamond Phillips uh, an actor I've always been a fan of is yeah. so has such a fantastic energy. Issa Morales, who plays his brother, is also uh, yeah. also great. Um, and the musical performance scenes are terrific. They're so great. Uh, I recently, I recently rewatched uh, Stand and Deliver, and you know, you you think of obviously um, Edward James almost understandably so. It's a great performance. Um, but uh, I think I forgot just how charismatic Lou Diamond Phillips can be. You know, I always thought of him as a fairly stoic person. Uh, but then I, then I remember something like La Bamba. It's like, yeah, he's like pure energy uh, in that, certainly during the musical performances. But then in something like Stand and Deliver, like he is just, he was just extremely, I say was, I mean, he's still acting, but, you know, not in the 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 profile, the high profile movies uh, that he was then like that and young guns and all that. 
And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, he was a very almost magnetic performer, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, and also I want to point out the movie, uh, the movie was shot by Adam Greenberg, who shot both Terminator movies and a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff you've, you've heard of. And it uh, uh, definitely shows the movie is a, a, a great textural quality um and the way that it uh sort of separates especially like one of the best parts of the movie is uh just after everything's over and you know spoiler alert richard valens has died because he uh died at the age of 17 after being famous for eight months um uh after he's died we then see another as the credits roll and him performing la bamba again and that it's it's beautifully like like uh it it has a richness of color that the rest of the movie intentionally, I think doesn't have. And it does feel almost like, you know, I think within the reality of the movie, this is just a performance from when he was still alive, but it does yeah. have this otherworldly heavenly sort of feel to this, this yeah. final uh, performance. Um, a really, really great movie. Um, it inspired me. <laughs> to uh after feeling so uh, uh great and so sad about what uh, about richard yeah. allen's very short life it is very sad um it inspired me to watch that very mean-spirited kids in the hall sketch uh, uh where um kevin mcdonald plays buddy holly as just a complete asshole in the very moments before getting on the plane i don't think i know that uh, one it's it's uh, i would say as much as i love that sketch watching it right after this tender portrayal of richie valens was the wrong move because it really like hurt my feelings but um it's a great sketch and uh paul bellini plays <laughs> richie valens uh-huh. uh who looks nothing like lou diamond phillips but actually looks more like the real richie valens than lou diamond phillips yeah did. the real yeah. richie valens was kind of a he was a beefy guy um, yeah. uh but uh yeah a great movie i recommend it incidentally real quick uh you mentioned that this it was the same DP as the first two Terminator movies, and it definitely gets well, I, me. As I, I called them both Terminator movies, but I should have oh, said right. both. Uh, yeah, I, I should have said both James Cameron Terminator movies. There we right? go. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it just it gets me thinking that like there's there's just something to be said like when you bring somebody and I know it's not I know it's the director of photography not the actual director but you you bring in people who know how to do action and suddenly your musical gets a lot better like right, I look yeah. at I look at Walk the Line and that's a James Mangold film um who right, had yeah. who certainly is known for action now but he had done action before that he had done Copland and some other things as well and I feel like yeah like those are t- I mean in the same way that like you want to make a good horror movie, get someone who has a sense of humor, get, get a comedy director or vice versa. And I feel like a- action and musical can, I think go together very well as well. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on to a movie that I know you're about to watch uh, as well, because we both got the brand new film detective uh, restored Blu-ray. Uh, and that is 1933's the sin of Nora Moran uh, directed by it's Philip something Phil Goldstone. Phil Goldstone. Um, and uh, I won't cut because I think we'll talk about it more probably in the sure. next movie journal or, yeah. uh, and you'll have a full review up on the website. So I don't want to go too in depth, but um, the movie, I expected the movie to be good. It's actually, I think great. Um, okay. Uh, I, Cause I know it's, I know it's a celebrated pre-code movie. And so right. I think I am, I, I on the, as much as I chastise, 
other people for sometimes being reductive about what pre-code means i maybe kind of fell in that trap being like okay this is going to be it's called the sin of or like a woman it's a young woman she's sinful this is going to be a saucy movie and it has some definitely has some scandalous stuff it's a movie about a woman um uh who is uh, condemned to uh to uh what's i'm looking for uh capital punishment um yeah uh, she's condemned to die in an electric chair. I can't, no, I can't remember how they're going to kill her. Um, and this is the night sort of leading up to her death. And the, again, I don't want to go into too much, like whether or not she's going to uh, get pardoned or whether or not there are people who know more of the story who could help her out. And um, uh, um, so it definitely has some saucy uh, stuff of, you know, people doing uh, normally post haze code when people did things like commit murder they ended up having to pay for it and so this is a movie that uh maybe skirts the line of of people getting away with shit a little bit more mm-hmm. um and of course there's like an illicit uh marital affair and and all this stuff you couldn't really have after after the Hayes code so there is that um it delivers on that part of of what you uh expect but what i didn't expect um is the uh the creative way that the story unfolds and the way that it blends reality and dreams or maybe hallucinations. It's not entirely clear in the time, uh, Normoran, uh, is we learned some of her backstory and, and the trauma that she endured and she has some mental health issues because of that. And so in the time, the, the hours leading up to her execution, she's, going off into these disassociative states and we're Mm. seeing those uh, as a way of learning her backstory we're seeing her relive them but it's also unclear to her in the moment if she's somewhere between you know being uh ebenezer scrooge as a as a right, distanced right. observer and actually sort of almost time traveling and reliving these things mm. it happens in this uh it's it's very not uh it's very unstraightforward the way the movie uh, uh unfolds and um the the emotion that you get out of this woman knowing where this woman seeing what this woman went through and knowing where she ends up and not being able to to tell her to do things differently it's a very yeah. emotional experience and it also there again i don't want to get into too much of this whether there are also things that made me very angry not at like you're supposed to be angry the other, other you see other people who did things to her or who could have helped her and didn't right. for so for selfish reasons there's a lot of anger i the movie was a uh, a much more intense emotional experience than i expected for something that was just like oh let's see this uh misbehaving woman from 1933 that that was actually i mean i yeah i i i requested the the blu-ray uh which i will hopefully have reviewed in the next few days and but as i did so i did have that that feeling that you did which is like where I thought like, man, is the only thing notable about this movie, the novelty of pre-code, like, is that going to be the only thing worth discussing? Um, So hearing you, and I actually knew very little about it. So hearing you talk about it as a story and as a piece of, of filmmaking with some, with certain uh, abstract concepts is something that I find very uh, exciting Um, that it's not just going to be like, Hey, can you believe this stuff that they're getting away with? Like, it's more than that. It's, 
it's uh it's that you know yeah. to to a purpose so yeah i will i i am very excited about watching it at this point um all right another movie i was excited about watching because i missed it at sundance this year um but it's it's coming out on vod uh in a couple of weeks and that's michael almoreda's tesla in mm. which uh uh ethan hawk plays uh nikola tesla and and that's all, actually all i knew about it going in was it was michael almoreda who made uh movies that i really like marjorie prime was on my top 10 you and i were both yeah. big fans of uh, experimenter yeah um uh, so i was excited about him uh, about just the fact of him making the movie i was excited about him reteaming with ethan hawk with whom we made hamlet 20 years ago now mm. um uh, and just the idea of Nikola Tesla was interesting. What I didn't yeah. know is that, you know, Tesla and uh, Edison were kind of rivals. Kyle MacLachlan plays Thomas Edison, yeah. and he's terrific. Um, uh, the two of them uh, together, just uh, Thomas Edison being a very sort of boastful, slick operator type, and Nikola Tesla, Nikola Tesla being so bad at socializing people that yeah. he's uh I, like I, I think another a less a less talented actor than ethan hawk i think would have made this version of nikola tesla just like the brooding genius but sure. nikola tesla or ethan hawk plays him as something as someone who is just completely out of step with what other people want out of him what what other people want out of life what other people find interesting or important uh, and he doesn't even, but he also doesn't care enough to be baffled by it. He mostly just wants to focus on his thing that he's intensely passionate about the, his, the things that he, that he creates. But, um, uh, it being a Michael Almereta, uh, biopic, you know, in experimenter, we had, uh, you know, Peter Sarsgaard, it was Peter Sarsgaard, right? Yeah. Um, walking down the hall of an institution with a little elephant behind him. You've got fun touches like this. You've got, um, I don't want to spoil all of them, but you've got, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Westinghouse's Westinghouse was a big, uh, right. No, I'm wrong. JP Morgan Westinghouse is also important, but JP Morgan was a big investor and his daughter is kind of the narrator of the movie. So we see her as a character, but then we also see her like showing like still dressed in her period garb, but with like a MacBook and showing like Googling Nikola Tesla and like showing like, so she's like scrolling through like a Google image search. And like, she has this whole like speech about how there are really only like four photos of Nikola Tesla. Um, and that ends up becoming kind of the defining, the, the defining point of view of the movie is what's beyond what little we know publicly officially about Nikola yeah. Tesla. And so a lot of scenes unfold almost uh, Michael Lamarita is a very theatrical director and a lot of scenes unfold basically as little plays in front of, instead of taking place on sets, they're just on a stage where the backdrop is a picture of, uh, you know, a blown up picture of Nikola Tesla's lab or, or a restaurant at the Chicago world's fair where he like, uh, mm. uh, where his current was used, his AC current was used to light the, the 1893 world's fair. So a lot of it is very theatrical. Um, there are, uh, uh, scenes there are at least two scenes that happen between Tesla and Edison that then we we aren't told until the scenes are over that they didn't actually happen. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of sense of fun 
to to the movie and um uh it also has yeah i there's other little treats in the movie that i don't want to give away but uh it's a very fun watch um and i think uh without being the kind of like factual information laden biopic actually probably does achieve the goal of teaching you a lot about tesla or getting you to think about tesla uh in new ways unless you're one of there are a lot of people who are tesla obsessives who uh uh, already so this will catch you up maybe to some degree with the tesla obsessive uh community but um uh yeah I, i really liked it man my limited exposure to uh michael amoreta is i love his instincts like they they're just so i like when he's like okay i'm making a movie about nikola tesla and it could just be a wikipedia info dump and just be super dry but uh yeah i think i'm gonna go with more the spirit of nikola tesla uh and and the way and mix it in with how he is viewed now that to me is so exciting and riveting uh in, in a way it almost reminds me of like the the sofia coppola marie antoinette um but uh anyway okay so so, so you have um, you have one more movie right? oh, but another real quick thing i wanted to mention i mentioned westinghouse but i forgot to mention who plays westinghouse someone who is also great in a much smaller role and or no he had a bigger role sorry he was great in experimenter jim gaffigan oh is i just i, I keep being I, I, like impressed that he's a really talented actor you know he's not just he's not just his stage persona um uh and he's actually great as as westinghouse and then one thing i will spoil because i uh i took my my wife is sure this is intentional yeah but there is a scene where thomas edison played by kyle mclaughlin um uh this he has this speech to nikola tesla who's now an american citizen or whatever and and like he's and he's like let's have an american meal pie and he like eats a slice of pie and my wife was like that they knew what they were doing (laughs) (laughs) i I, yes 100 percent uh all right um so then I i would have liked it if if you know westinghouse at one point is like what are they doing? What, are the, what is this electricity they're messing with? That'd be fun. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, and then finally, uh, this is the opposite from a movie that I really loved to, again, just a contender with probably not as bad as a tax collector, but we got two movie journals in a row where I'm seeing just a truly terrible movie. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately it's directed by someone who I like, whom I like, as an actor and a, and a writer, and that's Jay Baruchel. And the movie is called Random Acts of Violence. Okay. Um, it's an adaptation of a, of a comic book. And um, I guess I guess the one thing I'll say for it is that uh, it, it doesn't lie. The movie, name, name of the movie is uh, uh, largely what uh, the movie feels like. It's, it's a, uh, a horror-based uh, movie in which a... We've seen this sort of structure before in which uh, someone who writes about killings suddenly sees that someone is doing his killing, like copycat, uh, sure, copycat sure. from, and so there's a, there's, there's a, a Jesse, um, what's his name from Cabin in the Woods, Jesse uh, Williams, um, uh, plays a comic book uh, writer um, uh, who has a sort of notorious indie comic called slasher man and um on a road trip from toronto down to new york city for a um 
uh, a comic book convention they keep encountering murders keep happening along their route um, that are lifted directly from the pages of slasher man um so i guess in that way they're not random acts of violence but the movie doesn't either feels in fact you know what that's not even a right critique of the movie because it's not that the movie feels slapdash it's almost the opposite that the movie feels so predetermined as to be boring hmm. um uh in terms of what the things that the movie has to say about the purpose of darker or violent art and the responsibility of darker or violent artists feel very me at 14 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, uh, if you know, I was probably that age or younger when I read speaking of comics, when I read Johnny, the homicidal maniac, um, which is a very similar, uh, thing, which is something that I still, I still like Jonan Vasquez and Johnny, the homicidal maniac, probably not as much as I did at 13 or 14, but, um, uh, that sort of that sort of argument as like oh art's a release or a catharsis or you know yeah. it's the opposite like yeah. that and the, the it's thing used is to keep it's used to keep back the real evil yeah. like with and, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and I don't think that's I don't think that's without merit but it also feels like a it feels like the beginning of the argument it feels very superficial yeah and that seems to be what this movie is is going for mixed with and all the while so while you're watching something that's pretty dumb you're also watching something that's brutally violent like the the murders that we see are i guess props to jay baruchel for staging uh things that are truly upsetting um but that's what he was going for but uh it doesn't feel warranted or justified by the movie around it so it's just like yeah you want to see some people get killed in drawn out scenes where they're stabbed very many times or they bleed out very slowly it's uh it's it's real gross um and not worth watching so i cannot recommend random acts of violence Mm -hmm. 